Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Fortress of Proofitude, located somewhere in Lower California. My name's Greg. What's your name, lady? Hi, I'm Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. It's good to see you again. Charlie Robinson <laughs> is swirling in the stars. You remember him from Night Court, and you remember him from a thousand television shows and films. A beautiful man, and he was a teenage member of Archie Bell and the Drill. So let's tighten up for a second, because it's so boss. To the left. Unbelievable. Our friend Joel Murray remembers Charlie Robinson as a beautiful person who he worked, got the chance to work with. Yeah. Charlie Robinson was on many, many TV shows, but also he was a powerful theater actor. Oh, yeah. And during the pandemic, he and Wendell Pierce were in a, a production of Some Old Black Man by James Tyler, which is described in The Guardian, which gave it a, a great review as an intergenerational racism exploration and a gripping play of son and father. And Wendell Pierce wrote, it only took 27 days and we created a lifetime. Charlie Robinson and I quarantined together during this pandemic to create a play. And in that short time, we created a lifetime of friendship. We had a mission. Isn't that boss? Yeah, I mean, he was was in Fences, a production of Fences. He was... uh, a regular theater actor. Oh, yeah. And to choose that moment during the pandemic to create something so powerful. Isn't that profound? I love doing it in 27 days and quarantining together so Uh you could do the play together. That's Uh just so boss. Charlie Robinson is irreplaceable and he is uh, available if you look into the night sky. Yeah. You'll remember him from a million things. But uh, his indelible voice and act will always... uh, Also, that dedication to do that during this. Right? My goodness. All I did was sulk. Hey, let's switch (laughs) subjects. The Cleveland Indians. What? That doesn't seem like much of a transition, but and yet... Great segue. Right? I just want... I gave myself a, a webby. (laughs) <laughs> and a streamy. Really? Yeah, I gave myself a total streamy just now. For best white guy show that's not incel. Wow. Uh, the Cleveland Indians, and this of course goes out to our very good friend Drew Carey, the daughter of Mariah and Jim. Uh, number one Cleveland fan that I know and Rhea Butcher who's also a giant Cleveland fan uh, they changed their name from the Indians to the Guardians they dumped Cheap Wahoo that weird buck tooth grinning giant big nose World War II looking caricature of an Indian what about a two great idea that was yeah. to get it right on that to move on from something so horrible well you may remember how long it took the Washington team to change their name uh, and, yes, and there was actually a balk at one point where they were like we're not gonna do it and, then, and then people were it. complaining about the name the Guardians um any name just anything hey you just guys 
stop um, being racist. It's an entertainment industry based on sports. It's really not that important. Um, does anyone think? No, but that, I mean, it's important to not be racist. It's why it's they, more important than absolutely anything not to be named the Braves, the yes. Indians, or any kind of horrible connotation. As I used to do a hilarious routine about it in the eighties, where I was already complaining about it. I always said they didn't call the Boston team the drunk patties, and they don't call the Miami team the the Jews who are driving too slow or whatever. Like you know, you can't really. You can't be horrible. Right. They don't call San Francisco the, hey, the Frissers. You know, it's like, no, you don't get to be the Cleveland Indians. Here's the good part. Uh, Did you really say Frissers? The Frissers. I think there's four major league movies in the crap major league franchise. Well, they're not crap. I love, the first one's awesome. The second one, what? The third one, what? And then the fourth one, I think, is called Back to the Minors, which defeats the whole point of a movie being called I, Major I feel leagues. good about not watching any well, of these. Well, you shouldn't because the first one has Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes. All right, well. Run like Hayes, hit like Mays. Um, in any case, what, why am I bringing this up? Cleveland was the first team to integrate in the American League, and they integrated right after the Brooklyn Dodgers did. They brought Larry Doby up, and then the next season they brought Satchel Page up, and Satchel Page is the first black man to pitch in the World Series. Larry Doby is the first black man to play in the Major League since 1884, besides Jackie Robinson. So I give them loads of credit for that because their, their owner at the time named Bill Vack was an enlightened cat, and he always employed Page throughout his whole career. So I give uh, the Indians... Points for that, and I, I finally give them extra way, way waiting too long points for changing right. that Strangely, name. Strangely, I'm subtracting points. Right? Look, okay, for instance, when we were little, the Stanford team, which was a famous team in the Bay Area, were the Indians. And about 70 or 71, when I was a little kid, they just went, we're going to be the Cardinals because their color's red. That's it. And no one, after a minute, everyone went, oh, okay, that was it. And no one... Good choice. But I know but people were complaining about, you know, all the right-wingers this week were like, well, I like the Indians. It's like, you Wait, like racism. You, you're, exactly. You <laughs> just said right-wingers. Mm-hmm. We, we used to circle the wagons and watch the Late Show and Gabby Hayes. You know, the movie The Alamo is an actual documentary about what happened at the about Alamo. About white people losing. Richard Whitmark was there, and I remember him lying in his stretcher, nobly bleeding out while his slaves attended to him. Why can't America be like, oh, excuse me, I'm having an embolism. <laughs> um, I just wore my Ted Cruz shorts to the show tonight just to show you. That when I go to the gym during an insurrection hearing, I'm the one who's bringing so all the not game. big on the critical race theory. No, no, I'm uh, right. It's a, his his critical race theory is that he watched the Harlem Globetrotters cartoon when he was little and didn't get it. All right, moving wow. on. Hooray for Cleveland! Deducting points for taking too long. But they finally got over the finish line. Thank God the Giants just have an amorphous, amorphous, canstorphous name, right? What do Giants mean? We're huge or something? It's just, and the other good part about the Giants is because when the Negro National League formed in 1920, the New York Giants were the most famous team in baseball, and so um, there was a million Negro League teams called the Giants, including the Cuban X Giants. Also in Spanish, los gigantes, exactly. right? Like the doyers. All right. Uh, jump on in there. Anything you see that catches your eye? What? Um, I would like to uh, bring up, I had meant to a couple of weeks ago. One of my favorite sports in the last month is, uh, it's not an Olympic sport, 
But it's my personal. If you say sport. triathlon, I'm going to tell you that I'm tri curious. <laughs> no. I really am tri curious. No, you're not. Yeah, I'm aquatic, and then I run, no. and then I fall over and pass out at the end. Yeah. And, I, then and, I, and you have and to double nothing. back in yeah. Tokyo for pointless, and then you have to go over a blue carpet. Oh, I love the blue carpet part. That's so goofy golf. I feel it's like you're going to get the ball into a dragon and win awful. a prize, right? But. Um, <laughs> Do you remember Goofy Golf? No, I don't, thankfully. <laughs> I, I remain you, aloof you, of that. You've written Thank off you Major very Leagues much. and Goofy Golf, and I want you to write in, ladies and gentlemen. No. It's fan mail for Greg at gmail.com. No. I want you to write Jennifer's. So wrongs. here's my my favorite sport for me, really, yes. personally, the, this month was uh, reading stories because it was the 50th anniversary of Joni Mitchell's album Blue, which was one of my favorites. Marvelous. Was reading about all the men she made cry, and that and the thing that awesome. is so hilarious is it's all these uh, singer songwriters mm-hmm. that w- that we know, like David Crosby, Graham Nash, James Taylor, and she just she didn't have any trouble booking. She she just road heard and left them in the dust and it's yeah. just awesome because they were asked to weigh in on the album and they each had a story about how they felt personally <laughs> their emotions were trampled were crumpled uh, one, one of my my favorites is by she, the way she's doing a victory lap around this oh album. she is so and she's going to be uh Honored at the Kennedy Center, uh-huh. the next one. Uh, that's a bit. That's right. Deal, right after Joan Baez, she gets the Kennedy Center honors. Isn't that great? Yeah. And so one of my favorites is. She, so we're finally she, given the women songwriters of the '60s some awesomeness. Finally, yeah. um, she was living with Graham Nash in Laurel Canyon when he wrote "Our House." Well, on her album "Blue," she wrote a couple of songs about him and. Hilariously, when he was asked to reminisce about Blue, he said that he was, that River made him sad because it chronicled the end of their relationship, (laughs) but also elated because it was such a beautiful song and she had the courage to bear her soul. Um, But then she also wrote My Old Man, and he says, I'm sad that it's about me again. (laughs) So there's two songs. But it's so brilliant. And I, I can't remember where, it wasn't in The Guardian, but he also said in another interview that he was literally replacing floorboards in their kitchen at the house, our, our house, our very, very fine house. With two cats in the with yard. With two cats in the yard. Life used to be so hard um, in Laurel Canyon. When he got the telegram that she was dumping him. Wow. Telegram. Telegram. Hello, Mr. Nash. Wow. It's over. Then... Western Union for Mr. Nash. uh, Yes, boy? David Crosby has all the time in the world to be far too honest about everyone. He's just... He just doesn't care. He just... If he can, no, he's on the downend. If he can upend a relationship, he just gave another interview today about how he hates everyone. Awesome. So uh, he wrote, Joni went out with me, Graham Nash, James Taylor, Jackson Brown, and Leonard Cohen. She was exciting and turbulent and fun, and we all loved her. Yet I don't think she was ever happy. Um, She'd have you laughing or crying real tears. It could be difficult to be around her. And in another interview, he said that he, she made every all the guys cry. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me love her, more. right? And 
Yeah, she just moves on up there right. because she she had a tale to tell and an album to make and right. get out of her way. Yeah. And um, I'm going to use our relationship as fodder for this song. Well, exactly. That's what I mean. James Taylor, California, is the song that he... Uh, Ooh, you should play some of that which one. Is, which is one of my faves. Let's spin a little of that one. Well... Then you can tell the... You're you're right there with your computer. Well, you've got it right there. All right, here, never. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. Here. So, James Taylor and Joni Mitchell were in a relationship together. They were at the airport. He thought, ha, 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 that they were going to go to North Carolina to visit his parents. Is that where he was going to Carolina in his mind? She uh, had other plans. Uh Uh-huh. And... He says, uh, between flights, she suddenly sh- said she had to return to California and left me at the airport. <laughs> Maybe she sensed the wreckage of my next 15 years. <laughs> All of them are, you know, they're in awe of her, uh, as they should be. But I just, you know, this is, I was just laughing Hysterically, there's just story after story of you know, hey, that was been nice, gotta go. The Uh, guy telegram while you're while you're fixing the floor, dumping you in between flights at the airport. Yeah, the 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 movie, the song Carrie, is about a guy named Carrie that that she knew uh, on the island where she was, Idra. Where was she at this point? Was that with Leonard Cohen? No. Oh, no, she was with another guy. Right. Okay. And his name was Carrie. He ended up as a banker. Oh, as you do. And he was... Musician. He was interviewed by NPR, and he was he was nasty about it. What? He, he was... It uh, bunked his high. It, it, it apparently impeded his ego. That, wow. That she wrote this song about him. Um, and it's... In the song, she says that he's got an anger issue. Turns out, he really does have an anger issue. Right. The whole problem was he was a mean old daddy, is yeah. my recollection of yeah. the song. Here, With let me spin cane. a little of that one, because it's a goodie. But I'm going to have to... Right, he has a cane, and she's going to put on some silver, is it? Get is out it? your silver. That's right. I believe it is. Because a... he was working at a restaurant. Blue's got a lot of biggies on it. living uh, on Crete, in a, a village in Crete, which I guess the locals were like, yeah, all the white hippies down that way. Uh-huh. All you you people from America. Um, I swear to God, this is the quote. He's This was when he was 68 yeah. and an investment analyst in D.C. And he had the temerity to say, I resented her. What? 
because a lot of my friends were turning into absolute fools and fawning over Joni Mitchell. Oh, I see. So his ego is crushed. Um, How would you resent someone that made you famous in song? Thank you. On an album that's having its 50th anniversary, is it? Yes. Wow. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, you would think that it would be an honor that you would be... uh, Put into song by by a legend such as Joni Mitchell, so we just wanted to uh, bring that up. And what a weasel. as I say, good, he's a banker. What an excellent sport to look up stories about Joni Mitchell making yeah. men cry. Yeah, that is that's a competition sport. It feels like an Olympic sport, except there was no commercials in the middle of your. And good on uh, Graham Nash and David Crosby for always. Uh, they, they, especially David Crosby, is always saying he's in awe of her. Did Whatever. they produce the first couple albums? First one oh. only. Um, but giving her her due. Oh, yeah, no. Graham always says that she, I mean, both David of them. Crosby. David always says that she's a, a, a magnificent singer-songwriter and underrated. He always says Dylan is a little, you know, gets way more credit than her. Isn't, yeah. Yeah. And yes. No, good for him for that. Well, she's fabulous. Like just playing Carrie, no one else would sing it the way she does, and no one else would enunciate it the way she does. She really is unique in that uh, awesome sense. Well, it's a groovy album if you've never heard it, Blue, and it's got loads of other California, Take Me As I Am, Strung Out on Another Man. And um, what was it? I'm going to. I'll when even I was, kiss the sunset pig. Is when, what I, when I was. Uh, and that was about the Sunset Boulevard riots in West Hollywood. When the police wow. were running amok, and so much has changed in Los Angeles oh, since so then. So different now. The LAPD is just so calm oh and, and welcoming. So is the sheriff's department. It's awesome. Uh, uh, Norman Lear turns a uh, hundredth, or he's what is he ninety nine today on the day of this recording, July twenty seventh. Um, Norman Lear, as you know, was in World War Two and flew fifty two missions with the B seventeen, and he dropped 35, 35 bombing missions. Wow. Um, he's lived 70 plus years since then. Um, when we were kids, all of the best comedy sitcoms on TV were Norman Lear. Sanford and Son, All in the Family. Good Times. Maud. The Jeffersons. Yeah, he was the king. Uh, and he made a movie called Cold Turkey, which is a very funny movie about quitting smoking. It's very likely I owe my ass and all those decades of human experience to that black and brown squadron of red tail P-51 fighter pilots known as the Tuskegee Airmen. Wow. Uh, I often think of Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. She'll be remembered for declaring during Nixon's impeachment hearings, my faith in the Constitution is whole. It's complete. It is total. It gives me chills to think of her saying that. As a black woman in face of her own experience, prejudice, and full knowledge of our history. He wrote this for the Washington Post? This is his editorial, but what he's talking about is voting rights, uh, civil rights. He's talking about Rosa Parks, Fannie Lou Hamer, Thurgood Marshall, um, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, who risked everything, as we always talk about here, to claim the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So when people get all crazy about uh, voter suppression and and how it's this uphill battle and how it never seems to end and how they're always blocking and it was never different literally was until worse. the civil rights act it was yeah there was 200 years of white people guys that li- say they don't they're not interested in voting in every election i have as much sympathy for them as people who say they don't want to get vaccinated yeah rosa parks fannie lou hamer jailed john lewis beaten jailed so that you could vote 
so that you could vote, you lazy person. So uh, anyway, I thought it was really groovy that that's what he wrote about today. Also, and the, I, oh, sorry. No, I, I just was going to say all of his shows contained um, much, much uh, uh, rumination and, and jokes and hilarious satire on race, status, um, sexual assault, mm-hmm. um, prejudice, terrorism. He co- literally covered the whole waterfront his in show, all his shows. His shows. Venereal disease. Right. Maude was the first show to cover abortion. Yep. And uh, B. Arthur had, had addressed that subject uh, and Bill Macy on that episode. And uh, Good Times addressed uh, STDs. Mm-hmm. And Edith. Uh, um, amongst teenagers. Right. Edith and all the family was, a was TV show. Yeah. That, that 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 they covered that it was so important, and now it looks uh, still ahead of its time. Yep, because it was unflinching. It was funny and unflinching. The characters who were they were who they were. Archie Bunker was an unreconstructed bigot, and there was no way around it. He was funny because he was so ignorant. You laughed at his ignorance, but the truth was his character didn't change from week to week. He learned things. For instance, the Sammy Davis episode where Sammy Davis kissed him. So now a black man has kissed him. Then there's the episode where a Schwatzdicke gets painted on his door, but he fought in World War II, so he's angry. Then the Jew from the JDL comes over and gets blown up at at the... uh, Right. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, it gets blown up at the end of the show, and then now we have to learn about, like, what random violence and terror yes. is, you know. It I, was just really awesome. The, well, the reason they rebooted it, like, two years ago and did those little episodes was because nothing comes close to it. And, exactly. And and I was going to say, uh, to have B. Arthur play this strong woman character uh, who is in charge of her family. Yeah. And then uh, Good Times, where Esther Roll and John Amos are these awesome loving parents of these, you know, wild kids. That was such a moving show. Mm -hmm. And the Jeffersons, hilarious. Right. Good times they lived in the projects, literally. And then the Jeffersons, it was the opposite. They were the rags to riches story. They got to move to the Upper East Side, which was a big deal. And then in Sanford and Son, there was a... It was a takeoff on a show from England called Steptone Son. So they were junk dealers, mm-hmm. which meant in Los Angeles, he ran kind of a junkyard. And uh, Red, it gave Red Fox a, an enormous... Red Fox had, was in his 50s. He'd been around for 100 years and had boosted every comic in Los Angeles and had made a million albums and had a comedy club here and was a real instrumental force, I think, in comedy. And then finally got to be a superstar when mm-hmm. we were kids. Mm-hmm. And was making the most on the NBC lot, I think, for about five, seven years there. And that show went on forever and ever. Just uh, last week, Norman Lear was on Hollywood Boulevard paying his respects to Marla Gibbs, who was on the Jeffersons. And, oh my God, they're both in their 90s. I was going to say, how old is she? And, oh my God, she's beautiful, too. Uh, I didn't know until a couple of weeks ago that she had an important theater and a jazz club in Limert Park wow. uh, in Los Angeles, and how much she tried to improve that part of L.A., the black experience in L.A., that she had uh, done that on her own, and that, you know, Thankfully, she's still with us. The day they gave her the star was such a hot day that yeah, it, was it was really... And he was there to support her. Isn't that great? And he's 
Uh, is he 100 or 99? I think he's just turned 99 today. And she's 90, is yes. it? Well, it was awesome because... I, you know, they, the Hollywood's Walk of Fame is hilarious because you buy the stars or, you know, they're very political how you get the stars. But she finally got one, I think, out of just deserving one. But 90? 90. Get on 90. that. Yeah. Still, she got to go to the ceremony and Norman Lear was there and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. It, really cool. No, I just wanted to read that because I thought he was, a, he's always been a liberal minded guy. And um, during the. And we got to meet him. Well, I was going to tell that story. During the Bush administration, he stood tall, as you recall, with that, his group for free speech and all mm-hmm. that. He's been a real advocate for voting rights and free speech his whole life. And I'll say this. Of all TV producers, has there been another one that gave uh, black people and people who in the middle age people? No. Nope. Bill Macy was 50 when he joined the cast of Maude. Red Fox was Howell when he we got Sanford and Son. He made B. Arthur the lead. Right. Carol O'Connor and Jane Stapleton were character actors that had been in a thousand movies and TV shows. They literally had been around for 20, 30 years. And he, he has so much vision and so much confidence. And then, of course, once he nailed it, the networks just bowed to him. Then at that mm-hmm. point, he got pretty much got to do everything he wanted for about a decade or so, and it was boss. So I did a party in San Francisco years ago, and it was a corporate gig. And I'm going to cut the details short, but I will give enough to make it salacious, because it was. So this guy hired me, and I went over to his house in Pacific Heights, and him and his douchebag friend were there, and they were total investment banker types. They had mustaches, and they drove Porsches and whatnot. And um, the guy's wife was turning 40, I won't say their names or anything. Let's call them Tony and Rick or whatever. So Rick tells me all about his wife, and including some horrible sexual details that he says I can make I fun of if I want. And that one of their children wasn't uh, all there. And really? it, Yeah, he had a child that was uh, special ed, and he said, you can make fun of him if you want. So I determined after those two comments, and I sat there with a clipboard, by the way. This was the old days. This is early 80s, uh, 85-ish. Um, I determined then that I hated him beyond all measure and that I was going to do everything I could to destroy him at his wife's birthday party. He showed me a picture of her and she was a stunning woman of 40 and they had like two or three kids and um, that this crib in Pacific Heights. So comes the night and the party was at a place below the freeway in San Francisco, south of market called Rockin' Robins, which was a chain, I think. And it was like they played crappy 50s and 60s music. And um, I think there was food. Anyway, Jennifer and I sashayed over there. And there was no, as I recall, um, place to perform. They had neglected to figure that out. We knew the DJ because I worked down the street on 9th and Howard at a club called Lips with Faultline. So the t- Tony, or another cat was there. I think his name was Tony as well. The DJ. And he let me have his microphone, his DJ mic. And I stood on a, a picnic bench with no light on me with a cord that was this long and this was and I was supposed to make fun of her it was a roast of her so I got up and I said uh, whatever her name was you know Anne is a beautiful woman and she's a mother and she's a, a wonderful wife and she's a fabulous friend and she looks fantastic and we all want to wish her a happy birthday because she's so great and everyone cheered and went yay and then I went now about Tony and I went into maybe 15 minutes of what a complete greedy just joke after joke what's the difference between him and a porcupine you know on and on and on that he was a craven horrible crass prick and I brought his friend in too for a few Mm -hmm. for a few hits and then the crowd really loved it because the friend was the coked up asshole one right like that it was like Kiefer Sutherland in Bright Lights Big City he was that big of a douchebag right what kind of person wants 
to, do to make that fun of their wife, their their wife. and thinks it's funny and thinks I'll think it's funny. And I was 25. So I finish. And the theme of the party was the 60s because this was 1985 and she was 40. So the theme of the party was the 60s. She was wearing a tie-dyed outfit, the wife. Her sister, whoever this wife was, and they shall all remain nameless, was married to Norman Lear. That kind of narrows it down, Greg. So you're trying to keep the innocent from... Norman Lear was at this party at Rockin' Robins wearing a six... Did he have a wig on? I can't remember. No. He had a 60s outfit. But he had a, an American flag... That's right. ...denim shirt. He had an American flag Which was shirt. very Norman Lear. Mind you, how old was he in 1985? 100. 40, right. He was 60 Coincidentally, he was already 100. He was, I was going to say, he was, uh, he was way older than I am now, I think. And he came up to me after... I caught down off of this, the picnic bench... And Norman there came up to me and went, that was so fucking funny. I think that her whole family was so relieved. Yeah, that I didn't ever, I, I only praised her and said how great she was and what a great mother and, and wife she was. And then I ripped him. And Norman there came up with the wife, as I recall. He had the wife next to him and they were like, that was so funny. And I was like, thank you. Then I had to go get paid. And I remember Oops. walking over to him, and I think it was $250, Jennifer, and he had a check in his hand. And he, he <laughs> oh my God, he glared at me like the Russian general glares at George C. Scott at the end of Patton. It was just like, wow. And he gave it's me the only, money. It could have been in one. Oh, no, and like in forever, yeah, one, two, time. three. Did I tell you how much I, one, five, seven, did I tell you how much I, 18, 19, you fucking. <laughs> uh, so it was one of my greatest moments as a, uh, doing a roast because I completely roasted the husband and not the wife. But out of all people in the world, and you and I both met him and we're like, and Norman we're like, Lear. Oh yeah, Norman Lear's here? Because you, we've talked about this before because when Bill Macy was swirled off, um, you and I had both uh, spoken with him. Bizarrely, I would run into him at my acupuncturist. Right. Because Victor and him, Victor... Was that would, before or after your cholerist? Did you get your numbers really? done too when you were at the... Well, yeah. Then I was Rolfed and uh -huh. then I... Yeah. Alexander uh, I went to a phrenologist right. and... Uh, I used to do spin art in the afternoons to relax. Really? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, after... Uh, my acupuncture session, then, then I would run into to Bill Macy, who he was like the dad figure to Victor, the acupuncturist. Right. And it was like, you know, ancient Jews collide yeah. and they were going to go golfing later. Yeah, they always go And golfing. Bill Macy would just hang out to harangue people in the waiting room. Yeah. And that was just, to me, it was just hysterical. By the way, he was in his 90s. He though, wasn't 80s. there. He died in his 90s. He too. wasn't there for acupuncture. He was there to do like to a kibitz. set. Yeah. He, he was performing yeah. in the waiting room. Bill Macy played Maud's wife, Walter, on the TV show Maud. And she would go, a god will get you for that, Walter. That was the big joke on the show. And he was 50 when he got in it. He'd been in Oh, Calcutta, which, yes, meant he'd played nude on stage off I don't Broadway. want to think about that. He's also the head writer in the movie My Favorite Year with Marklin Isn't Baker. That great? Peter O'Toole is the guest star, and Marklin Baker's the junior writer. I just love when, when you run into, uh, and it, you know, with the pandemic, it, it's been thin on the ground, but in L.A., one of the joys is running into character actors yeah. and, and people from uh, your childhood and when they act like they do we, we had the great fortune yeah. to also meet B. Arthur Oh yeah, and B. Arthur and Bill Macy both acted in real life exactly 
how they seemed and on TV. dressed. B. Arthur was wearing a long, uh, giant Golden Girls they were type hilarious. outfit. Yeah, hilarious. And on the night she had a few drinks. That was at the Improv during a comedy contest I was in, and one of the other comics she quite liked. And got all over him, as I recall, and went, oh my god, you're so funny, and embraced him. Uh, Bill Macy talked like this. Bill Macy talked like this, Jennifer! I can't believe you're doing it! And so he was on an episode of True Jackson, I swear to you. I'm not going to go into the whole details of what he did on True Jackson, but let's just say he was hilariously inappropriate. And, Always. Um, that was his shtick. So it, it made him happy. He got It kept sidelined. him alive being inappropriate. What he did was shit disturb on everyone. Yes. Which he did to several people on the set of True. And he was sidelined for it for a minute. Like the producers <laughs> had to go, Bill, you mustn't say that type of thing. It's not good. And of course, I saw him later at a coffee shop in LA where all the old character actors used to go. You used to I see all that. the old actresses and actors love there. That. Guys from film noir movies and stuff. And um, I said, Bill, do you remember we did a, a True Jackson together? And he went, yeah. And then I said, I got a podcast now. And Bill Macy goes, well, do a little of it for me, right? And I go, okay. Uh, hooray, hurrah, we're doing the Smartest Man in the World Proofcast. And this time we've got star stage, screen, Broadway, and television, Emmy Award winner Bill Macy, like that. And he went, that's very good. Like, more as as more I, about me. All I did was more pump him me. up. I pumped him up for two minutes, and my and he was like, "Oh, that's very." I got to listen to that. That that is the fun <laughs> of you know roaming around. We were talking the, the other day about you asked me who did you run into the in uh, in the elevator at Cedars, and it was. Uh, Elgin Baylor. Hen- oh, oh. Elgin Baylor. Elgin Baylor. Very much so. Superstar. Henry Silva. Celeste Holm. Celeste Holm. Celeste Holm. Celeste Holm. From All About Eve. Celeste Holm. From uh, Henry Silva, I remember thinking, oh, you're here for Frank Sinatra. Henry De Silva was very good mates with Frank Sinatra. Henry he De plays, Silva? Yeah, I think it's Henry De Silva. He's in a hundred movies, but he's also in a bunch of Rat Pack movies. And famously, he's the butler in The Manchurian Candidate, and he turns out he's a, a spy yes. for the communists. Uh Wonderful face. Mm, By the way, they gorgeous. all looked amazing. Mm. Elgin Baylor was wearing a suit and How tall tie. Is Elgin Very six tall. Nine, six nine. Uh, so, by the way, Elgin Baylor was a superstar in the '60s in the NBA. He was kind of the Michael Jordan of the, of those mm-hmm. days because he was really acrobatic and athletic. Later, of course, he went on to uh, be the GM of the Clippers. He was yes. an executive in basketball and a fixture here in Los Angeles. And, and because it's LA and there's that weird provincial thing, is like we're an enormous city, but there's you also run into that. the same five people. Well, <laughs> but that, but I, I remember running into him. Uh, being in the elevator with him, and I came home and I turned on the news, and he was on the news. Right, right. He's, he's there's like the apparently yeah. there's five people in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, Warren and I used to go to the basketball. Our, our good buddy Warren Thomas, and we would go to the Clippers games because you could get in, and we would sneak down front. We would literally like sneak down front, and because I would wear, we would dress up, and so we'd sit down front only so we could stare at Elgin Baylor, who was the Clippers. This is in the late nineties. He was the Clippers coach, and no one was there. Only Robert Kardashian. At courtside, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, we one time I went to a voice audition and I took Jennifer. So Kanye wasn't there with like a, a uh, hosiery. Kanye was pulled 11. over his face. Kanye was eleven then and was just a small disturbed child at that point with a hoodie on. I'm listening to uh, Steely Dan clips. Um, Plotting how he could make sneakers look really weird. One day he thought to himself, uh, you know, I'm, I go by Kanye, but one day Yeezy. One day I'll have a choir. Right, and I'll live in Wyoming like everyone dreams of. Uh, 
Jennifer, when I went to this voice audition out in Santa Monica or something, it was pretty far out. Uh, this is how provincial LA is. Santa Monica is so far. I had to take a boat. It's four miles, right? I had drove, I had to drive a swamp uh, buggy through all the way. And, Grizzly uh, bears beating down uh, porcupines and and errant uh, rabid wolverines and whatnot. And uh, we got there. And Carl Ballantyne. If we told this before, I don't care because we it's, have. All right, then I'm going to switch over to this one. Well, I, I have all the time in the world for the Carl Ballantyne. Well, because I want I want to be Carl Ballantyne. Because you, you can do the voice. Right, because he was in Top Cat, and he was one of the – was he Top Cat? I think he was. Because Carl Ballantyne fucked like this. He'd go, he'd go, hey, Mikhail, when are we going to get off the island? Like that. How like he, tall was this man? Six five, And he was a magician. Uh, my father claims to have seen him at the Paramount Theater in the 40s and he was called the Ballantyne the Great mm-hmm. and he that, and his act was like Tommy Cooper or whatever he you know what you know it was all shtick and um, then of course he awesomely was Gruber on McHale's Navy where he was a 40 year old Navy recruit like Bilko and McHale's Navy had the oldest platoons in the world where there were Jewish comics from ages gone past who, right, which is what made it great the thing that blew me away about uh, a couple times when I went Let, on these, oh. I have to. So I go in to do my audition. Carl Valentine's there. I come out, and but Carl what Valentine, I was going to say is like, <laughs> I always blew me away. Like, why are these famous voice talents yeah. at auditions? Yeah, because we. I, I saw. I met Joe Campanella. Yeah. at a voice audition. Uh, Paul Williams, for God's sake, Paul like, Williams. Really, yeah. really, you don't know what this man can do, yeah. and and Carl Valentine, like. And Carl Valentine seemed like he was there. He was with his daughter mm-hmm. or his son. I can't remember. Might have been grandson. And he was obviously like, you know, bored. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm like yeah. Bill Macy. I'm going to be the life of the waiting room. Yeah. And you went in and when you came back, he was sitting next to On me. On your lap. <laughs> he was sitting next to me doing shtick. Yeah. And it was just delightful. Yeah. It just, oh my God. Yeah. I was, I couldn't stop laughing. He found a willing audience that was the best looking woman in the room. Possibly the only woman in the room. It was a bunch of guys reading for this cartoon. I came out and he was, they were head to head. And he was going, and Jennifer's going, in hysterics. It was just, it was so, but I mean, that is the most awesome thing about Los Angeles is that you run into people. What's from, his name who played Herb Tarlick who just passed? I'm going to have to look it up here. Uh, that brilliant actor uh, who was on WKRP in he Cincinnati. He was so funny. I think we... Did we talk about him? I, no. We didn't, sadly. No. His name was um, Frank Bonner. And Frank Bonner uh, played this uh, salesman on WKRP, the 70s version, with the plaid jackets right. and the, the totally gaudy sleazy. tie. Totally sleazy. Always hitting on the receptionist. Right. He hit on Lonnie Anderson every episode, and she would just rebuff him. He'd go, when's it going to be me, Jennifer? And she'd be like, never. And that would be it. Uh, and then we found out, of course, his home life was sad. and They gave him that pathos background. But Frank Bonner was at an audition. I was at an audition out at Warner's or Sony, way out there somewhere. And uh, I met him. And I said, I am a huge fan of yours. And he hilariously, without even, he looked over at me and went, you're the one. <laughs> oh, and who plays? Well, r- running into Warren Zevon at our grocery store. Oh, yeah. You know, seeing uh, Wilt Chamberlain at Bristol Farms. Yeah. Remember? Of course. Uh, Barefoot. I mean, just, I, I remember having just seen uh, my year of... Uh, living Dangerously. Living Dangerously. 
With Mel Gibson and Sigourney Weaver. And, an Academy and, Award and I'm at the grocery store, at, turning the corner at, I don't know, the baked goods aisle, and Linda Hunt is there. Yeah. And I just I, I just blurted out, oh my God, I just watched uh, that last night and you were marvelous. And she was like, thank you. Yeah. She plays Billy. <laughs> but that is the joy of Los Angeles. Yes, every car wants to mow you down. No one knows how to drive. No. People always comment because we had, uh, what, 10 seconds of rain on Monday that no one knows oh, how to drive right, in the rain. rain. No one knows how to drive any day. No. Any day of the year. It the doesn't matter. The rain only matter. makes it a little worse. It, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. But the joy is that you're going to run into a, an Oscar winner at the grocery store. No, it's true. We see Billy Dee Williams at an uh, Italian restaurant. Uh, we saw, uh, I saw Michael Parks at The Pharmacist, who played Then Came Bronson, and then you'll know him from all the Quentin Tarantino movies, he's in Kill Bill 2 and all that. Uh, and, and a, he's in an awesome Perry Mason. Michael Parks was a really good looking star in the 60s, yeah. Um, can I just say, I, I can't bear that English people say Bette Davis. Why, Why do they say Why? Bette Davis? Because they're perverse and they want to say Herb and mispronounce English. But they say Bette they Davis. They mispronounce and... French words. But they know her name's not Betty Davis. because it's fun for them. They know her name's not Betty Davis. I know. And yet all English people say Bette Davis. That there's something wrong with them. Well, wow. And what's wrong with them is wrong all the way through. Biz Marquis, uh, the clown prince of hip-hop, as they say. I like the Inhuman Orchestra. How he, old was he? Oh, golly, not very old. 50-something. He, he, uh, he's swirling in the heavens. But the, the truth is, he was, I think, at the beginning of hip-hop, really the free-form, joyful one that uh, didn't have that many boundaries. He wasn't uh, all about being macho or tough or street or cool. He was the not fun one. He's exactly. the fun one. Exactly. Uh, and I think he doesn't get enough kind of credit and because of that and he yes. said people know what I did like that he popped up in a hundred shows and even the Nickelodeon shows and stuff the thing I really loved reading about him was that he was such a collector and yes that he would call people up and say do you know this cut do you know this single yeah. oh you don't really and that he would Questlove said they called him up at two in the morning and would say, "Do you know this record?" And then when he didn't know, it'd be like, "You don't know this one, loser." Yeah, I'm gonna play one that's just super silly. I know it's a Beastie Boys record, but when it came out, "Check Your Head" was a, a very popular record, and it was a perfect use of Bismarcky because, like always, you just gave him a regular song, and he'd make up the words or he'd just sing words that he thought of, like his version of Benny and the Jets is oh, fantastic. So he just good. Sort, of, sort of just says any, and this is a, a horrible Ted Nugent riff from the 70s that he just sings over and makes it awesome. One, two, three. Whoa! tragic Ted Nugent riff into something beautiful and I'm going to play a little bit of his big big biggie and something big, big, Ted biggie. Nugent never was entertaining I was going to say it had a sense of humor yeah self-deprecation is not a big quality on the Nuge uh, and I think that if anything you're going to take away from this episode I want you to note that that I said that um, self-deprecation isn't what 
Ted Nugent was known for. You'll recognize it as soon as it... The reason why this one's such a classic, too, not only is it funny, when it gets to the plaintiff chorus, he's wearing a Mozart wig because it was around <laughs> the time the movie Amadeus came out, and it just makes it great. performers. He's an amazing figure in hip-hop, and he's also like uh, the Humpty Dance. This is a song that became a classic and be- began to be sung everywhere. Yeah. Uh, events and By whatnot. the way, Oakland is going to have a Shock G day. That's so awesome. Also, he's called Biz Marquee, which I love. And uh, I found an article in a mag called uh, The Ringer. And uh, why I like it is there's a picture from Double XL Rap Magazine from the early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got everybody in it. Big Daddy Kane, who, by the way, was his best friend. Yeah, his buddy. Uh, and Cool G and all this. And they're all looking cool, and they got baseball hats on, and they're trying to... One of them's laughing. And Biz Marquis <laughs> got his shirt pulled up, and he's wearing plaid dad shorts. And it's just... With his stomach out. It's just the greatest. Biz Marquis will never be forgetted. Uh, um, so fun. What's the, oh yeah, please, please just talk about Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson, the DJ, the the seminal important Chicago house DJ, is in the hospital with COVID, and uh, I wanted to celebrate him. And uh, you can uh, go online, and there, there, his last uh, show is actually really online. Yeah, On and this is. Uh, a, a bit that he was famous do we, for. Do we know how he's faring? Well, he's on oxygen oh, no. right now oh, yeah. in the ICU, so we hope that he pulls through soon. Which brings us to, it's not over, you guys. It he's, is not please over. Please be safe. Mask up. Mask up. And don't listen to your aunt. Get vaccinated. Don't listen to your uncle, especially. He's out of Chicago, right? Yeah. Super hip. I love this sound. Paul Johnson? Yeah. He's just really delightful. Yeah. Um, it... If you're worried about getting the vaccination, and we actually had someone uh, tell us that, well, it's new, it's not, it's not tested. Um, the mRNA, the messenger RNA, was has been worked on for decades, mm-hmm. and specifically uh, by Catalan Kariko, uh, the Hungarian scientist. And she's now in the States, and Dr. Uh, Kazmakia Corbett mm-hmm. worked on, ha, has been working on Moderna. 
These are not uh, untested. These are. I think uh, you could safely say it might be some of the most tested. Yes. Vaccinations that have uh, you know the FDA hasn't put, given them full approval. It was rushed in because we needed a miracle, but also. The science behind it is completely is sound. Catalin Carioca, the mm. senior vice president of BioNTech, she's been working on this since the 90s. Mm. Um, and she was hoping that her research would uh, benefit all types of illnesses. This is something that, that may have profound implications for chronic illnesses mm. that we can't even dream we didn't dream of ending uh this is just the start people should celebrate it be excited that we have this vaccination now based on these women's research and be confident that it works you and i when we were children we lined up to be vaccinated in school for everything and just recently we had a shingles vaccination Last year we had was the, that fun? the flu vaccine. The yeah. shingles vaccine was much more intense than the uh, Moderna. Moderna vaccine. Yeah. So, I mean, go out there, get it. Get it It's done. free, you guys. It will help everybody. I mean, this was not something that we ever thought was an option. When we were little, uh, older people had just gone through polio mm-hmm. and we eradicated it in the United States because of vaccinations. Yes. No one said, oh, don't take it. There wasn't an anti-vax crusade. Vaccinations were invented in the 18th century, first against smallpox. Mm -hmm. Washington had his troops quartered, one of the winners, and he forced them all to take the vaccination so that they wouldn't give it to everybody. Yeah. And so if the father of our country, who was a slave owner, could do it, I think you can set aside the freedom argument for a couple of minutes it's not freedom, by the way. Um, freedom means being responsible and not smoking in a cancer ward and not running uh, your bumper car over everyone at the fair. There are, there are certain social contracts we all make with one another. You have to wear seatbelts. Does that make you feel crappy about well, yourself as an certain, American? The people that have uh, chosen not to take the vaccine who end up in the hospital are then taking medicine... From people who are in car accidents, so, people have heart attacks. No, no, I mean, they, they are actually given medicine in the hospital, mm. but they didn't want the medicine that was the vaccine. Right. How is that different? But they didn't care when they were drinking a jello shooter at shenanigans on bikini bull riding night. They didn't care about what was in the mix-up of that jello shooter. When they were in a K-hole doing molly. No, they didn't care about when they were doing a, a K off the back of their buck knife that, that someone had tampered with it at some point. When they were snorfing meth off of a small uh, rodent's head in the back room. Uh, they gave no thought whatsoever to was it on the cigarettes they were smoking or the, the crack they were. It's just hilariously specific and completely not... Politicized isn't the right word. It's a psyop weaponization yes. of something that yes, we know is literally good for everyone and will save the world. Yes. America will be saved if everyone's uh, cl- world, enough people are vaccinated. The and then the world after that will be saved because of this. And by the way, the Biden-Harris administration has shipped millions of doses to other countries, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's just awesome to, to... We have enough now, which is incredible. After six months that we would have enough to literally vaccinate everyone. 
which is why there's no excuse for it. And, and you can go to the pharmacy. You can go to McDonald's. a school, a hospital, McDonald's. You can, uh, for God's sakes, there's been uh, many states that have offered trips, uh, amusement park rides, whatever it takes. I mean, for God's sakes, get your family out there to be vaccinated. We are not going to be over this until we're all vaccinated. That is just the way it is. I'm trying to look up. Well, yes, no, you're absolutely right. And awesome, you know, UK having Freedom Day while your prime minister and your uh, new health minister are self-isolating. Yeah, that that's really... always the best day to just break out and party. Well, you know, the mask issue is another issue, but I, it's not. I, I'm we keep being asked to be tolerant and. Um, uh, uh, be forgiving of the people who are hesitant. The people who have genuine autoimmune deficiencies and can't take that different. vaccination is one matter. The people who are hesitant because of the history of what uh, entities, government entities have done to them and they're not trusting that is another matter. It's the people who literally won't take it because they've been poisoned by misinformation. That drive me mad. You can go to vaccine vaccines.gov v-a-c-c-i-n-e-s dot gov or 1-800-232-0233 1-800-232-0233 there's a number and a website and it's super easy sometimes they'll drive you if you can't yes. get there I mean in LA they're driving people to vaccinations what I don't understand is that people everybody knows someone who has some kind of immune issue and whether it's cancer or something else, they don't think of those people. They don't think about shielding them. They don't think about mm -mm. the the social construct. It's appealing to people's basest selfishness, and that's what really rubs me the wrong way. Here's another reason to get vaccinated. Um, it's awesome. Who's one? Uh, whose life is back on the road come end of September? Now, when we planned this and when we started to rebook everything, and we had to rebook like everyone else did, which meant hundreds and millions of acts rebooking comedy venues all over the country, um, our, uh, our people were, and our, when I say our people, I mean the village people, meaning the construction worker mostly, and the leather guy, um, wow. when they rebooked us, went with Autumn. Instead of coming back out like now in July, like a lot of people are on the road, or August, they went with the end of September, starting in October, and a real intensive all through October, November, December thing, which I thought was really cautious and made me feel better about them that they didn't just go, hey, get back out there. Like I remember last summer, a comedy person saying to me, last summer, Jennifer, when the heat was on, as you recall, uh, hey, the clubs are going to start opening up soon. Where do you want to play? And I was like, the clubs are not going to start opening Yuck, up soon. And talk about scrub, scrub it. Yeah. Scrub it and yeah. get some ventilation oh, in no. there. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in a bubble like that movie with John Travolta or whatever. I'm totally wearing a thing around my head. Um, we'll be back on the road in Northampton, Mass. on September 29th. And I don't want to see you at the show unless you're vaccinated. Now, Massachusetts has done a, a swell job. They're one of the better states. I think they're close to over 80% vaccinated there um, and then we're in Pennsylvania New Jersey New York back in uh, Mass at Medford and then Boston on the 6th a place we love the Wilbur then Maine which I'm really looking forward to because of the lobster rolls <laughs> that's Portland Maine on the 7th then the 8th in Portsmouth New Hampshire which is a great fun then Terrytown New York which is just fun to say and then Troy New York where we're going to fight a pitched 11 year war against the Athenians. 
And what happened was they stole my girlfriend and she was the most beautiful woman in all of Greece. And so I'm going to invade hmm. them hmm. with a thousand ships. And I don't care if Agamemnon bitches. How's that going to work out? Well, I think at the end of the day, um, they'll pro- my best friend will probably die. And then I, the gods will ask me whether I choose a long life or glory and I'm going to choose glory. That's how the Trojan War ends. Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't read Homer. <laughs> By the way, no one read Homer uh, while Homer was alive. They heard it. Homer sang it. Yeah, Homer played. Homer came out with a guitar and he sang it. And then after Homer, it was written. Evidently, Alexander the Great kept a copy under his bed because he thought he was Achilles, was it? And he thought Hephaestion, his boyfriend, was Patroclus. So there you are. Uh, so we're playing Troy. And when we get there, there's going to be a, a German um, an- anthropologist, archaeologist named Schliemann. He's going to be exhuming the theater while we're there and looking for actual artifact. Really? I bought a, um, Achilles helmet at the gift shop and I gave it to Led Zeppelin. That's why they wrote that um, song, Achilles' Last Hat Stand, on the album Presence. Huh. Then we'll be at the Mayo Civic Theater in Rochester. Now, what do, I, what do you think of when I say Rochester, Minnesota and Mayo? Clinic? <laughs> it's bing, you're bing, gonna, bing, You're going to teach a clinic? It, uh, the, the whole... You've never been to a town where, like, talk about a one-horse town. It's like, hey, have the Mayo Clinic burger. Like, everywhere you go. It's just... It's awesome. Uh, Is and, everyone having the kale shake? Yeah, f- fully. Uh, oh, could you smoke out and back? That's where the nurses go. Um, Sioux City, uh, after that. Now, then this is where it gets to it, you guys. Sioux City, Iowa is October 14th. Iowa is in a kind of a state. Um, Governor Reynolds is not the most forward-thinking of all governors. And she's one of those people who doesn't want to mask kids, and she's doing that weird thing. I need you to get uh, vaccinated, my darlings, in Sioux City, Iowa, because we want to have a good time there. Uh, Then Springfield, where the Simpsons are, and on and on and on and on. Cincy, Ithaca, Buffalo, Toledo, Chicago. Oh, yeah, Chicago, Indy. And then back on the West Coast. Oh, Dallas, Kansas City. Anaheim, Tuscan. Mesca, Santa Barbara, that's a fun gig. And then on and on into Florida. Who'slive.com, that's Ryan Styles, me, Joel Murray, and Jeff Davis. I'm going to be doing a couple gigs at the uh, Nowhere Comedy Club next month, stand up and podcast and a G thing. But Friday, this, July 30th at 5 o'clock, a stand up show right here. Uh, not in the Fortress of Prupitude, but you have to cross. You have to cross over the Kitten Meadow, and then there's a babbling Muntjac um, Brook where the elusive ephemeral emotional support moonjacks take their afternoon water and we often flavor it with raspberries or uh, sometimes uh, a lala berries. Did they request that or? Well a lot of times moonjacks will go like ah, ah, and you have to infer from their bark or is it imply? I can never tell the difference between an implication and an inference and that's part of the reason why I, my career hasn't flourished the way it should have. Yeah. I think that uh, E.B. White, uh, being the president of show business, has had a lot to say about my particular grammarian attitudes. And the Oxford comma. Right. And then if you go to the uh, portal of Providence and down the um, fire escape of destiny, on the other end of that room near the croquet court is where we're going to be recording this uh, stand-up show. And yes, I'm going to have proper jokes and shit. When are you going to write the show? Um, None of your beeswax is when that happens. Five o'clock. I will also have on the show the lovely and talented Teresa Lee and the lovely and talented Jill Maragos are joining me on the show. Uh, Jill and I were supposed to do New Year's Eve last year. That didn't happen. So I'm trying to give her some love by putting her on. 
what can only be described as probably one of the high points of her life doing a nowhere comedy <laughs> club with me. Uh, and anyway, get a vaccinated and like that. How about Gloria Richardson? Shall we talk yes, about her please. and Mr. Moses? Um, before we do, may I mention that MJ Rodriguez oh, yeah. from Pose is the first trans woman to be nominated for an Emmy in the Best Actress category. It's so deserved. She is awesome in the role. It's one of my favorite shows, and so I highly recommend it. And she's beautiful in it, and she is the first. That's so awesome. Uh, Well, again, long overdue, but yay. Yay. And also... um, when we know that uh, the Republican Party, I got, also love Dominique Jackson as oh Electra. Is, Electra. Yeah, she is just fierce. She's my favorite character. Fierce, so. fierce, fierce. Well, and Billy Porter. Oh, all well, three Billy of them. Porter. The whole the cast. Uh, yeah. Billy. It's a really it's it's good fun. You'll really like that show. It's also the first couple of seasons are so heartfelt, and there's a lot of you know it's it's a lot. It's because it's set in the eighties. Well, the age crisis is you know talk about uh, having to uh, parse so much history. You know, given the opportunity, Stephen Canals to to tell the story mm-hmm. of, of a group of people that don't have their story told no. in mainstream society ever, ever, and to I think he did an awesome job. I do too. When you hear about trans people, it's often in the context of the Stonewall riot or in San Francisco, uh, the riot at the coffee shop there. Or from a hate-based Scottish mm-hmm. author mm-hmm. from her mansion north of Edinburgh. Well, there's a lot of turfs and uh, J.K. Rowling, sadly, is one of the chief ones. Uh, transphobia is an awful, awful malady. And by the way, it's not a stance. You're just being a horrible person. Thank you. Um, again, like it's like saying I'm not a feminist or I don't like gay people or whatever. I don't care. That's your choice. No one's making you do that. Trans people are doing nothing but trying to make the world a better place. And but also up to, against to, the worst to abuse a vulnerable segment of the population. When you're rich and powerful. Hei- it, no, from any point. Yes. It's heinous. Well, there is no... There, there is no uh, defense of that position. No, and it's a pre- it's a pretend issue like abortion for uh, the you the know bigots. The, the GQP the right bigots. the the QAnon party wants you to uh, hate trans people and be afraid of them somehow, and especially young trans people when they're at their most vulnerable when they're in high school and whatnot, and when they them, need our support, right. And then uh, uh, Dr. Seuss, of course, uh, abortion. They have the four or five guns. Guns. Everybody needs a gun. It's really important to have guns, which, of course, it isn't at all important to have guns. It would be so easy to live without them. Uh, But, yeah, trans people are are a particular sticking point right now. They really landed on that. I think because gay marriage and everything got away from them. Well, exactly. And so they have to find... a new point of hatred and a way to control people. Yeah, and it's just really ugly. And it's, so it's it's really great. There's a non-binary person in the Olympics in skateboarding. Uh, they're prevailing, and it's just you know let's celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of being a scared of it, uh, you might want to. Well, Alana Smith. Yeah. 
they are uh did did uh Alana get a medal yet or are they no the first couple of uh she brings joy and pronouns to the they oh they did I say yes. she yes oh, cut that they them no everybody's okay I All made right, a mistake right. they them I I can make a mistake. I didn't know when okay. I saw the name. Alana Smith with they, them on the board at the Olympics. And that's a very powerful statement. Isn't it? Another kind of history was made when Team USA skateboarder hit the park alongside Nishia and others, probably wearing a pin with their pronouns and sporting a skateboard with they, them. The 20-year-old Smith made Olympic history as this year's wave of non-binary and trans athletes. And they were so very excited and happy to be there and it was just a joyous moment mm -hmm. for and that's really why you turn to the olympics i mean you don't go for uh the crass uh, statements about why simone biles would need to look after herself for god's sake uh, or the commercials uh you look for those mo moments of mm -hmm. joy like the uh the tunisian swimmer in the midst of the turmoil in Tunisia, um, Ahmed Hanoi? Yeah. Hanoi? Um, he came in first. He got the gold in swimming. And it was just awesome because no one counted on him being there. Um, the woman from the Philippines. Elrine Anando. She's the first gold medalist from the Philippines. Uh, the, uh, Bermuda. They gave her two houses. Did you see that today? They, they gave her two houses. Uh, the, uh, the woman from Bermuda was the first. Huffy, was it? Gold. Uh, Flora Duffy. Duffy. Was the first gold medalist from Bermuda. Um, these are the moments that. Flora Duffy. Are so exciting when, when a, a country. And she represents the smallest country to 60, win a gold. 65,000 people. And, uh, you know, th this is what's special is when those people pull ahead. Yes, it helps us forget about the uh, rough points through this one, which have been Kasheri Richardson and all of their terrible misogyny and misandry and uh, the thousand missteps that this Olympics well, has made, plus the fact that Tokyo's in lockdown while they're having it, which is yes. just crazy. And the fact that they, they weren't allowing Paralympians to have their uh, personal assistance with them. Oh, and the, the daycare for the women who have babies and stuff is awful, and they, none of that was sorted. Right. A, a blind, uh, deaf uh, swimmer d chose not to go right, because she, she could... wasn't allowed her, her mother, who was her personal assistant. No, it's been tone deaf and, and wildly misogynistic. And then the coverage in America, of course, it's always about <laughs> the American athlete. brave American finishing 74th in the bi not in the biathlon, in the bi-curious athlon. Uh, they, yeah, the no matter night, what they do, they focus on Americans. The other night, Simone Biles was actually referred to on American TV as not Simone Biles. And you wonder why she stepped aside. And by the way, she's, she wasn't uh, participating in the exercise, but she was absolutely participating as her team. She was there uh, supporting her team on the sidelines. She was hugging them. She was giving them advice. She actually, when she showed up again, she said, if you need something, I'll go get it for you. Mm -hmm. She was hugging the Russian team. She was absolutely present there for all the other mm -hmm. women. 
and that was beautiful and I don't see how she does it because we know what she's been through having heard what she did uh, in terms of she wanted to be that person from the last team to so that everyone knows that the sexual abuse that all of those people went through mm -hmm. all those women went through that she prevailed and it is so much weight on her shoulders to be the greatest of all time and be the uh, witness and she's obviously the mentor to the younger women she's 24 those other women are teenagers she's got all that weight on her i thought it was amazing that she came back out to support them oh she's sensational Oh, and making a point out of coming back to be present at this one for that very reason, so important, and such unbelievable pressure she is under. Also, if we're going to talk about uh, uh, overcoming adversity and difficulty, she's astonishing. But also from a purely sports point of view, we talk about, you know, whomever, Wayne Gretzky or Serena or Roger Federer or Bill Russell or whoever it is that won a million championships. They didn't win every game for eight years and she did mm -hmm. she literally won everything she, she was in for eight years and that's different than losing sometimes and like she took a step backwards the other night the whole world freaked out yes. because she landed because you know like a she human. wasn't perfect yes and it's just it's a tremendous uh the gaze is so intense on her yeah um she deserves all the support that she has four skills in gymnastics named for her mm -hmm. that there are things that she can do that other people cannot do and isn't judged fairly on them because no. other people can't she doesn't do give the point she is not given the points that she deserves because no one else can do them yeah no she's through the roof anyway uh, i'd like to see the you know, first of all, with Naomi Osaka um, pulling out of the match and enduring so much vile racism from Megan Kelly and from so many people. Uh, well, from everyone, from the Japanese press, from the American press. And maybe She's, people want to take a break and they're under giant scrutiny. But also, it was it's so ugly after she said as much in the European mm -hmm. matches that she said, I'm withdrawing. I don't want to do press conferences. I feel too much pressure. And then in Japan for Naomi Osaka to feel that again mm. is just vile. And she's such an admirable, awesome athlete. And when she lit the torch, it was totally awesome. And, um, she's a great, great star. Now, what's been directed at the misogyny, the misogyny noir and the misogyny of, the, of racism, this, yes. the Olympics has been yucky. Uh, and a real, real giant wake-up call that everything isn't all woke and, oh, my God, everything's too politically correct. If it was, Shikari Richardson would be running. And um, Naomi Osaka would have had support coming into this. And we wouldn't be talking about Simone Biles in any other way but to venerate her for being the bravest goddamn person on the field. Thank you. And, and meanwhile, uh, a, a fencing athlete who is oh. accused of sexual assault is being shielded. Mm -hmm. He's there. But we're supposed to focus on these women who are superstars who are not... Well, it was also... A, yeah. Perfect. It was a giant wake-up call for Japan, I think, because they've had to change uh, the chairman of the committee. They've had to fire the guy who wrote the Olympic theme. They've had to fire the producer. They've had to 
reorganize everything. The theme that was homophobic and yeah, or not the theme, but the the, the, man, the author of the theme, the man who <laughs> the composer, really, yeah, was a screaming homophobe yeah. sexist yeah. Um, and nationalist, which yeah. is code for Nazi. Yeah, uh, and uh, they but they've had to reckon with all this, and they've had to reckon with their insane. Um, because they're an island, they're agoraphobic, and they're also xenophobic. British people are xenophobic. It's part of being on an island, island culture, especially one like Japan, which didn't get in the mix until... Uh, on another years. note, can I just say, I agree with people who are wondering, even in the cycling events, surely we can find a prettier natural setting what about when they ride up Mount Fuji? I mean, those Quons- those Quonset huts and the blue carpet. I mean, they're great, but again and again, really? I would have liked a little more really? Ray Sakamoto and a little less, you know, uh, a country-fied army base kind of feel to things. There, it could be a little sexier. It's weird. Well, I mean, what about that weird turn? Like we're yeah. g- we're gonna we're gonna do that bicycle turn around? A, what a garbage. Bin? Oh, yeah. And then there's the ones with, that literally have traffic cones. Yes. The, w- w- this is the Olympics, and we're, p- we're pivoting around a 180 yeah. around a traffic cone. It's a, it's disappointing for a country that, when you know, you we weren't there I, a long I like, time. But I when like you the go, aesthetics to be, you know. A little well, more meticulous. They're, they're a country that's completely fills in all the lines. When, you're, when you get something there, they're completists about everything, how the plate looks how the money's exchanged hands, how um, the formality and, and rigor of their structure that they bring Could to everything. Could we make more generalizations about... Well, here's my big generalization. Okay. I'd like a little more design and a little, little less kind of crappy. My uncle put some cones up and he just... He, you ease this blue tarp here. It's going to co- be kind of slippery when you go around the corner. I have to say the coalescing of the drones above the stadium on in the opening <laughs> ceremony, it made my heart sink a little. You mean or a lot. It turned into the big globe and everybody went, wow. There was some beautiful moments, it has to be said. And they did, in their opening ceremony, you know, deal nice with Munich. I've seen nice mouse pads before. They dealt, with, they, they, they dealt with Munich a little bit, which no one had done. And, of course, the British didn't bother beautiful. with it at all. That was really important. Yeah. That was really important. And they talked about a lot of their own history, everything. So they tried to touch on it, but... Look, the Olympics is like the Oscars. It's an imperfect hey, was, TV show. What about Keith Urban and his highlights? When he sang Imagine? Not since Gal Gadot. Have I, I thought been that so John by... Lennon was going to come back yeah. and smote their ass. I was going to say, and put out a Galwas in your eye. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to mess with that. That's This version is terrible, mate. It's <laughs> a bunch of shit. Uh, Gloria Richardson is swirling into the heaven. Oh, but having said all that... I think it's important to watch the Olympics because the athletes really do deserve your kind attention. We haven't even got to track and field and everything yet. Um, the American women's gymnastics team took a silver, which is no not ignominy by any chance. Right? The way the networks they played is like, oh like, my god, you know, like. Um, and could we ever see another country? I'd love to see other countries play. The United States TV coverage we never get to see. There were seven. There was always like the you know number fifteen. 
was a young yeah. man from Iowa. You know, Decatur's a small place, but Robbie found a chance there as a young white supremacist boy <laughs> driving a truck for a firm outside of town that was whites only. The thing that I really enjoy is the other night when I was watching the men's cycling is, is when they're banking on when the network is banking on who they think is going to win, and it's not even close. No, it's the Ecuador. And the guy from Ecuador just, <laughs> he was so far ahead that he was looking behind him. He was looking behind, he was clapping, he was he was right. giving himself high fives. He was just, he couldn't believe, and they didn't have anything. They had no story to tell about him because they didn't see it coming. Uh-uh. And that was delightful. And, and then the other night so it was long. Christian... Bloom, that was, I'm trying uh, to find his name here. Uh, that was uh, the Ecuadorian guy was yeah. uh, Richard Calipas. I can't remember. I know, right? I'm trying to look it up as we go here. And uh, it really is the best part of the Olympics is when they're just banking on uh, the winner and it doesn't work out that way. It's really gratifying. It's uh, Ecuador's Richard Carapaz. He was the first... It was the first cycling gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics. And, you know, like the Tunisian uh-huh. who won gold, they just, what, what? We don't have a story to tell. Yeah, we don't right. know what to say. Oh, no, the Ecuadorian guy in Ecuador, have they had a gold medal in the biking event? No. No. A Blumenfeld from Norway won the triathlon, and they were touting Yi from Great Britain so hard. He was actually, he was looking behind him a million times. He he put his head. Both hands on his head. Mm. He was making faces. He was he like, couldn't I couldn't believe how far he was leading. Yeah, by. because there was like, like Richard Carapaz, there was no one no, behind no, him. It was, it was a minute before no the next person. It was he, hilarious. He lapped someone on that track <laughs> yes. in a triathlon, yes. which is unbelievable. Uh, 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 Blumenfeld, and they were like, uh, at one what? point, about a mile or two from the end, they said, Boy, they must feel a lot of pressure knowing he's right behind him. And then Blumenthal just gunned it. And that was the They were still talking about an American who was like a hundred years He finished sixth or seventh. But, I mean, what? There he is, McDowell. They were talking about McDowell. They were talking about McDowell. And meanwhile, no. Blumenthal put on a show. Yeah. And they were talking about how crappy his form was. It was like, he won by a minute and a half. The thing that was so great was that he was making faces. And yeah. that was just... And he laid down on the finish line. He walked over the finish line, pulled the tape down, wrapped it around his head, and laid down. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, Gloria Richardson. Is it uh, swirling in the heavens? Again, a triumph at 98. I didn't know this about her, but... It, she was in her 40s. I mean, she looked That's, yeah. so young yes. in her 40s. I didn't realize that she was a mom. In the early 60s. Her her daughter had been an activist and got her inspired. And so she, she was living in Cambridge, Maryland, which was very segregated at the time yeah. in the 60s. And she just took it upon herself and ran with it and became so integral to the to the movement that that rfk needed her to deal with this right she was a divorced mom with two kids yeah no rfk came down yeah well what do they call it the battle of uh uh uh, what was it sorry i blanked on the name of that i just was looking at it two seconds ago and i blanked on the name of it cambridge uh the cambridge Cambridge maryland right cambridge maryland and uh, a famous place where Harriet Tubman was from and all that. She was, you know, a professional in the community yeah. and took this on. He came down 
And she, I, what was it she said? Don't, you can't deal with a, a... There are so many awesome photos of her just holding an entire street down. Yeah. There is one with her, all these men facing away and she's facing the camera and she's got her hands in the air like, here we go. There's the other one where she's pushing the bayonet away, yeah, the cop's bayonet. She was 45 the, and she had, gone to, she had gone to Howard University. Yeah. Huh, where have we heard that before? Reverend Warnock? She, Kamala D.B. Harris? Yeah. She had the ear of Robert Kennedy and Malcolm X. And she had relocated to New York City two years before the 1967 rally. And without her at the helm, the situation was particularly tenuous. And she came back and she held that down. She wasn't particularly enamored of King. and uh, That she, was the Baltimore Magazine, by the way. Right. When she got up at the March for Jobs and Freedom, they didn't let her speak, mm-hmm. as my recollection. There's a famous picture of the National Guard during the Battle of Cambridge in July of 63. And uh, one of them's got a bayonet pointed at her, and she's pushing it away. And you can see everyone in the background with their hats on. Um, and each one, she's singular. She, mm. She's addressing the violence in the space uh, and pushing that away. Um, in the photo of her and RFK at a press conference in 1963, she's the one speaking. Look, mm-hmm. uh, she's... Always the the assertive character in this forum, um, what she got done is amazing. And what she did was by acting locally and, and uh, speaking to the people, she knew uh, what was wrong in Cambridge, Maryland, and she helped address it. It's awesome that she's being remembered and that she made it to to such an advanced age i mean that's a rarity oh extraordinary well rfk was um attorney general then and uh he had to go down there with her she was listed uh on the six women honored as freedom fighters on the program of the i have a dream at the march for jobs and freedom uh also, RFK told her to smile when they were mm-hmm. having that meeting, and she said there was nothing to smile about because we were talking about civil rights. Gloria Richardson never, ever, ever backed down and was awesome her entire life. And this next person, Bob Moses, was uh, an unbelievable uh, civil rights leader who, as you point out, wasn't from Mississippi. No, he was from Harlem. But went down to Mississippi and was instrumental there. Mm-hmm. Uh he was 25 when he was reading the paper and he decided to go down to Mississippi. He was mentored by Baird Rustin and Ella Baker from the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And uh, this is in this version. They were suspicious of the educated black men from New York who seemed impervious to threats or brute force. That's the kind of uh, character he had. Um, he, he got hit... Uh, attacked with a knife in 61 and he continued into the courthouse which was closed, the registrar was closed with blood dripping all off of him 
he was remained in the thick of danger for four years. His office was burned, jailed at times, oh, shot at by white people in Greenwood in 63. And then the Mississippi Freedom Summer Project of 64. Um, and by the way, if you think it didn't work and that giant voter drive didn't work, LBJ got to sign the Voting Rights Act the next year. Which, by the way, in case people think that this filibuster thing and everything's all not going the way you want it to. They had to twist arms so hard to get the Voting Rights Act passed. It was ridiculous. But eventually they got, um, was it Everett Dirksen? Uh, finally was a civil rights advocate and a Republican and went with them. And then they were able to break down and get some Republicans to mm-hmm. join them. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, this was a different time when uh, they weren't kind of openly traitorous Nazis. There were still Republicans who embraced civil rights and there were still Democrats who were wildly right wing like Civil War Democrats, right? There was still yes. all that going on. This is before the John you know, once the Civil Rights Act was signed, the terrain of American politics has changed utterly. White people stopped supporting uh liberal white candidates and started supporting right wing white candidates. Almost to the you know, fifty, sixty percent all the time after yes. that. And that's what the issue is, really, is to kind of out-negotiate that swell as they subside into infighting and craziness. You saw the press conference today with Gates and, and Gozer. And hopefully irrelevant. Yeah, the sedition conference tried to have an anti-insurrection press conference today, and they literally whistled down by people with whistles. They ran away. And they ran away. They scattered. They scattered. And it was pretty shocking. Um, so... Uh, Mr. Moses, of course, has worked for a zillion years. Uh, he was a, a staunch opponent of uh, the Vietnam War and um, became a conscientious objector, which is what people used to do when they didn't want to fight for the government and have to put their lives on the line for wars that we mm-hmm. didn't feel like we were particularly emotionally involved in. Uh This is from Taylor Branch, the historian. Moses pioneered an alternative style of leadership from the princely church leader that Martin Luther King epitomized. He's the father of grassroots organizing, not the Moses summoning. You'll forgive the prose, but this is a historian putting. I thought it was well put. Not the Moses summoning his people on the mountaintop as King did, but ironically, the anti-Moses going door to door, listening to people, letting them lead. And I think that Jennifer always talks about it on the show. Everything's more local than you could possibly imagine. It mm-hmm. really is important mm-hmm. to talk to your friends at work, mm-hmm. your friends that are that you get high with, your neighbors, if you see them, yes. if you speak to them. It's important to know the journalists that cover local events. Yeah. It's very important. And if you have time to go to stuff that's in your neighborhood, not now. Mask up. Keep your goddamn distance. Let's get this variant <laughs> under control. But if you've already been vaccinated and you wear a mask, you can go places still. And so... Uh, engaging people about what they're thinking about politically is not boring. It's it's vital to our existence. And it really is the thing that Isn't turns it? the tide. Why do you think Georgia and Arizona went Democrat and put four fucking Democrats in the Senate? Yes. The two new, three new ones in the last election. Three new Democrats. Well, and, and you know, I... When was it two two weeks ago that we were celebrating? Uh, Rosa Delora has been in Congress how long? Oh yeah, and her two, hair is unforgettable. Right, two decades. 
She has been working on the plan that is now in effect to cut child poverty mm -hmm. in half. And people got those tax credits this month. It makes all the difference in the world to have that money right into their bank accounts. It's extraordinary. The Biden-Harris administration has made that happen. They really, really have. And it's profound. But to, to, to have child to have child poverty, or it's something in the neighborhood of close to 50% yeah. of, yeah. in one stroke with just this giant injection of money is genius. Why not do it? Why not? It's it says, millions of children. Millions of children. Healthcare uh, 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 it starts with children uh, uh, and women, and it couldn't be more profound. Uh, I, I don't think you skimp on children. You feed them. Robert Moses, by the way, swirling in the heavens and uh, is uh, lived a giant life. And can Didn't he? And also he had the algebra project. Mm. He was devoted to teaching children math. Yeah, which is insanely important. Uh, he's, he's irreplaceable, and yet I think he lives such a giant mark. And talk about the door-to-door grassroots effort of everything that's what stacy abrams is doing that's mm -hmm. what uh, mm -hmm. uh i'm Latasha forgetting her name brown. natasha brown is doing mm -hmm. what so many people are able to do and let's be honest even vice president harris or someone like uh, mayor london breed or mayor Lori lightfoot whatnot by appealing to people and showing up and being in the community which vice president harris does she went that parsing that as even they they can do that no no i meant what i'm saying is <laughs> Well, from from their more vaunted national yes, position, yes. they still mo when Vice President Harris went and got vaccinated. Vaccinations went up that week. That's what I mean. There's a there is definite correlation between but people what communicating I love about, directly. One of the things I love about her is that she always uh, makes it about where she has been, mm -hmm. and she always thinks about Oakland and the Bay Area and. Uh, the university, the the black, uh, historic black universities. Mm -hmm. The uh, when she went and was vaccinated, she went to a black part of Washington D.C. It is always thoughtful and pointed, and empathetic, and uh, never tone deaf. They, they, I think her and Biden's administration is tries to hit so many points and and give people the dignity and pride that they deserve. The cabinet meeting last week was only the second big cabinet meeting. You'll notice two things. One, everyone in the cabinet is not a white guy. Like you've seen four years of literally the ugliest white men in it's the world gathered around that, the table. It's slightly, uh, the majority is not white guys, which it, is so exciting. Native American. She met with Deb Black Helen today people. to talk about the indigenous yeah. people's vote. You got your Jews. You got your Muslims. You got it's it's diverse. Gay men. Gay men. Uh, it's it, and that speaks to the heart of the matter. And he said, finally, a cabinet that looks like America, or yeah. it looks more like America yeah. than anything they're dreaming of. Um, there's a site on Twitter, and it's good fun called "What Biden Has Done." Why is it good fun? Because we like to be optimistic here. Um, yeah, there's seditious traitors all around the place. And yeah, we're going to have to fight. So look at it like uh, Von Ryan's Express. 
uh, this is the 30s and you're surrounded by Nazis, baby, because that's what's happening. Well, and also get on the Biden-Harris train and appreciate what they're doing. We're moving light years. I mean, I can't believe how fast they're moving compared to other administrations. Embrace it. Be excited by it. uh, Really feel the joy of, of... what's happening because people got stimulus money they got right to their bank account they got a child tax relief it is happening vaccinations jobs yes yes. donations overseas hope Hope. health care there's hope Uh, the the muslim ban's gone we're back in the paris accord Uh, there's housing aid we believe in climate change maybe communities yeah the justice department's got a voting rights division again uh uh, Vice President Harris is working on voting rights. Uh, ICE deportations are down, you guys, to the lowest ever. Uh, the lo- the Long- refugee camp. Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia uh, announced the other day that their all of the children at their migrant center have been uh, processed with, with their families, and returned to their families. Yeah. All of them out of the system. All of them. Yes. Yeah, and he's the mayor of Long Beach. Who's by the way. Uh, a gay individual. The LGBTQ discrimination ban in housing, employment, and healthcare is ended. The trans military ban is ended. Mm-hmm. He literally rescinded all of the crappy, crappy, crappy executive orders. Debt forgiveness, $3 billion in student loan, eight federal lifetime judiciary appointments, three circuit judges, all black women, first Muslim federal judge. Um, Keystone uh, reinstated methane limits, food assistance, eight billion in food assistance. They're spending money, you guys. Yes. It's great. What about what our governor is doing? Oh yeah, in California, our governor Gavin Newsom is just going great guns and helping people out, and it's just you know they're they're suspending uh, the overdue rent and mortgages. They're they're giving money to. Uh, support people. Uh, it's just, it's so necessary. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and there's uh, this bogus recall. Oh my God, the recall. One of the people that is running against him is on Big Brother in Australia. So that's mm-hmm. that's how serious the recall is because he couldn't be more popular and he couldn't be doing more. Um, there's, there's a whole... Uh, a group of funds to save the theaters, to save the stages. Yeah, they just gave the, they gave the theaters in California $600 million the other day. And, um, I, I, you know, let's be selfish. Uh, I make my living playing in theaters, as really? do so many people. And um, it's important that they stay open so that you can go back and we can see you in La Jolla or wherever we're going. Well, also, it's my understanding that California stands for a cultural hub. Yeah. Comedy, show business, <laughs> movies, television, yeah, theater. Yeah, kind of important that we keep that going. Yeah, that would be nice if uh, we could keep the California thing happening. It would make me happy. Speaking of which, we'll be in San Francisco for New Year's Eve. And we'll be doing the podcast on the Thursday or the Wednesday. I can't remember. And then uh, stand up on, I think, Thursday, Friday. New Year's is on a funny day, right? Isn't New Year's Day like the Saturday? So I think we're doing one show. I remain aloof. Oh, really? Details. Okay, but you'll be there, though. You, I know, I'll, if I'll I know here. you, you'll be in San Francisco for New Year's. Uh, I believe <laughs> Saturday is New Year's Day and all is quiet. And uh, yeah, do you have your phone? Yeah, I do. We'll, we, we can actually nail this down. Yeah, right? Uh, let's see. This is exciting to be able to look at your... There it is. I'm right. 
January 1st is a Saturday. So we're literally doing a show on New Year's Day, which we would never, ever do. Normally, I have that day off, and Jennifer and I go eat. And um, But we're doing one. I, I don't think it, it prevents you from eating on the day. No, but we don't get to have a lot. We'll go for lunch. Uh, I have one show that night, uh, probably at 8. The 31st is a Friday. That'll be the big night. And then the 30th is stand-up. And the 29th is the podcast, which is a Wednesday uh, and so it might be the first live pod- podcast of the year all the way toward the mm-hmm. end of the year. We'll see mm-hmm. what happens if something ever Woo! comes up. There. Uh, we're going to have to look toward the end here. Let's uh, oh, get I, into your thing. And- yes, please. Uh, one, one of the uh, incredibly brave metropolitan D.C. police officers who spoke at the hearing today about, mm. about uh, the insurrection... Uh, the terrorist insurrection on January 6th at the Capitol was Mike Fanone. And I didn't know today uh, until today that he was uh, sometimes an undercover narcotics officer and that he was at home when he suited up and joined everyone to save the representatives and senators at the Capitol. He was brutally, brutally, savagely He had a heart attack. He was tased repeatedly. Um, Joan Baez, a family favorite. Your mother. Right. Bay Area favorite, Joan Baez. Um, she was given a Kennedy Center honors at the beginning of the year. Also of overdue, like Joni Mitchell. Right. She's what, 79? And 80. Oh, golly. Like Bob Dylan. I know. Unbelievable. Because she looks... Can I have mine earlier? I don't want Kennedy Centers, but I want streamies. (laughs) So she chose D.C. police officer Mike Fanone as her guest. Wow. And uh, he was super chuffed. Mm -hmm. It was really lovely because I don't think, you know, they didn't know each other at all. He was surprised by it. But uh, he said, my understanding from talking to her was that despite being out in the crowd and having my life threatened, that I chose not to use deadly force and that resonated with her and a friendship was born uh when a family member of his saw an image that she did a painting of him defending the capitol and she gave it to him and there's a photo of Mm -hmm. of him with it in his living room that's so cool and uh so he was her guest and he said it was an incredibly humbling experience just interacting with somebody who really had such a tremendous influence on things like the civil rights movement and anti-violence advocacy. Mm-hmm. How about that? And she said, I wanted him to be seen and I wanted him to be partnered with a nonviolent activist. Isn't that great? And think of the difference, what she does, what she brings to that. I'm not mm-hmm. even going to go to the opposite because mm-hmm. we all know what's going on with that. She's so brilliant for being the literally the most famous advocate for nonviolence and the most famous, you know, that's a that's a woman folk singer from that era. She's absolutely the epitome of the peacenik. Well, also, it speaks so much of both of them yeah. that they agreed to mm-hmm. be there together. To, as He's a law enforcement officer. To support, she drew a painting of him. To support each yeah. other in this moment of, yeah. of trauma. I think it's really beautiful that she did that. And acknowledging his story. To, yes. That he made this giant decision while he was being horribly attacked. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we heard the stories of 
uh, Officer uh, Mike Hodges, Officer Harry Dunn, and Aquilo Gunnell, Sergeant Aquilo Gunnell, who was uh, who is from the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. He's an immigrant who also fought in the war and had to go through the the, the terrorist insurrection. And I appreciate that. Uh, Officer Hodges referred to them as terrorists again and again. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can officially call them that now. The news has been so sketchy and so both siderism about the thing. I think today's hearing was so inconceivably shocking. The racist epithets uh, that the crowd used that they the it was pointed out that the crowd was white, male, and Christian. Yes. Yeah, for right. they identified the as witnesses Christian said that. that they were wildly racist and that they brought serious weapons and attacked the cops with them. Yes, they did. They had weapons. Uh, Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn, who by the way has gotten death threats because Tucker Carlson has has uh, mm-hmm. chosen to talk about him he said if a hitman is hired and he kills somebody the hitman goes to jail but not only does the hitman go to jail but the person who hired him does there was an attack carried out on january 6th and a hitman sent them i want you to get to the bottom of that just brilliant and um officer the other officer from the dominican he Blanket. called a kilo Ganel, called it an attempted coup, yeah. and Mike Hodges, uh, Officer Hodges, Daniel Hodges, uh, said uh, that uh, Representative Murphy from Florida said, "What are you fighting for that day?" And he said, "Democracy." Unbelievable. It, they were so moving today. Uh, Sergeant Ganel said that he thought. Uh, 45 saying that it was a love fest or whatever was a pathetic attempt mm-hmm. to justify the job he wanted to keep. All I could think of when I was watching them was I wish that they were uh, if only we could replace the horrible Republicans in office with these mm-hmm. men who McCarthy, Nunes, uh, Gozar, Brooks are so dedicated Mm -hmm. to preserving the Constitution uh, and were so brave on the day. Totally awesome. Uh, Do you have a jam to... Well, I wanted to... uh, Craig Charles was one of the first people to play Amy Winehouse. And Craig Charles is somebody that we've met. You did a show with him. Uh, did a, a very, very award-seeking uh, show to some acclaim called <laughs> Space Cadets. As someone said to me once when I was walking up the Pleasance, I think I was going to that chippy uh, um, down the end of Porches Pen. What's the name of that? The Grass Market. Mm-hmm. I was walking up. Oh, and I was on the other side of the thing. I was walking up from the Pleasance. And a cat was walking down. And this was 1997 or 8 at the Edinburgh Festival. And he goes, Greg, and I, by the way, I didn't know this fellow. He just decided to, I was by myself walking up the street and he went, Greg, I love you on whose line, but space cadets, why? Really? I thought it was fun. <laughs> it was a fun I, I loved it. I'm just saying this guy said that to that, me and it made me But it's also it's so Edinburgh. Oh my God. Why? I mean, if they can't take the piss. The, the hosts were Bill Bailey, 
who has gone on to enormous fame and, and, and success all over around the world, and particularly in England. Craig Charles, who you know from Red Dwarf and a zillion other things, the cheeky chappy. And then we had Ed Bishop from UFO. We had Terry Pratchett, who wrote the Discord novels. We had um, William Shatner. You may have heard of him. Still going, baby. Walter Koenig. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there, too. Um, uh, uh, what was her name? Claudia Christian, who was on Deep Space Nine, or Vo- one of the awesome Star Trek spinoffs. Um, we had everybody on the show. It was great. Uh, lots of sci-fi stars. And we wore uniforms. And, oh, by the way, all of our writers went on to be famous. Uh, Greg uh, Ford, golly, I'm blanking on his last name. A lot of Scottish comics. Greg Hempel and Ford went on to be enormous comics in England. By the way, they were just little kids then. And they were the ones who wrote Wine Me, Dine Me, Deep Space Nine Me. And <laughs> Wow. Yeah. We used to do this one, Open the Pod Bay Doors. I can't do that, Greg. And we would... Yeah, it was good fun. Well, also, Craig was on your chat show in Edinburgh. And he's marvelous. He's a really funny guy, and he's awesome. Um, uh, he loves... His handle is uh, Funk and Soul. If, if uh, you want to hear his show, it's uh, on BBC Sounds, and uh, I have teed up... It's called The Funk and Soul Show. Right. <laughs> he uh, interviewed Amy Winehouse in 2006, and he did a tribute to her yesterday, and I, I found it really uh, charming. You can still uh, access it again, BBC LF, for 28 more days. Oh, really? Is that how it works? Well, yeah. uh, August 12th, uh, we're going to be doing a benefit uh, to help defeat Ron DeSantis. And hilariously, they've put on this poster here, Whose Governor is DeSantis Anyway?, the name of the uh, uh, thing is Ron Bagan. You see what we've done there? Because Ron DeSantis is a, a real dangerous item. And uh, he's done nothing but try to um, intimidate the health services in Florida, um, go around every masking order. He ordered the cruise ships not to require vaccinations. He's that oh, person. Anyway, uh, if you go to Act Blue, you'll find Act Blue Don uh, donate Ron be gone, and whose line? So who's on this show that you talk of uh, on August twelfth at six p.m. Eastern, three p.m. Pacific? Well, first of all, the, one of the awesome members of the J- uh, January sixth panel. She's uh, sitting on the panel. We watched her on CNN tonight. Her name's Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy from Florida. Mm-hmm. She'll be at this um, fantastic benefit we're doing to get rid of Ron That's DeSantis. Great. That's great. Um, she's a, she has a mother, she's a mother of two and expressed um, how important and a, a Vietnamese American. Yeah, and expressed how, how important it was that the um, law enforcement officers were, were able to literally save them so yes. that she could see her daughters again. She made that point. Uh, on the floor today. Uh, oh, who's on the show with you, Greg? Um, Ryan Styles and Colin Mockery. There, I did it. Wow. Ryan Styles and Colin Mockery and Greg Proops from Whose Line Is It Anyway? We're raising money to get rid of Ron DeSantis. Yay. How effective are we? Let me put it this way. When, during the election last year, when everything was horror, and uh, I was drinking as if I'd been released from an institution, I w- was able to get uh, Ryan and Colin and Dave Foley and Aisha Tyler and we did a benefit for Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff that they were on. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, now Senator Ossoff and now Senator 
uh, Warnock. What a difference an election makes. Well, that was the election that got them in, and then they had to go to the runoffs, but we raised a boodle of money for them, and I don't mind saying it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we can do this. I'm inviting you to come. It's Act Blue. Yeah, make a difference. Make a difference. Yeah. What What are you doing, Greg, for me to make my life better? Well, I'm getting his line to do benefits to (laughs) try to elect a new senator. The two candidates are Nikki Fried, who's the only elected official. You mean for governor? Yeah. For Governor Robert. Did I say Senator? <laughs> yes. Well, their senators are dire. Their senators are Scott and Rubio. I meant Governor DeSantis, who is up for re-election, you see. Yes. And is a very favorite. And they keep going, when 2024 rolls around, he's polling really... No, he's a horrible human being with no social skills. In any case, uh, Nikki Fried, who I believe is the state treasurer, and then um, another cat whose name escapes me, the most Charlie... It, it's immaterial to the fact that it's August 12th. I'll soon... I had it's it on all Twitter about today. you, isn't it, Greg? Almost always. And, but this time it's a little bit about Colin and a little bit about Ryan. Yeah, that's two of your favorites. People always say to me, how come Ryan and Colin are never together? Well, I got them together for this, you guys, like we did last time. So join us, won't you? Do they know this? By the way, there'll be more guests by the time we get to this in August. I, my guess is there'll be other uh, senators, uh, congresspeople type... And uh, other sexy stars. So it just starts there. Right. Stay tuned. Right. Uh, secureactblue.com. Donate. Ron be gone. Whose line? Whose governor is DeSantis anyway? It says, I'll read it to you. Join us for a virtual fundraiser with special guests, Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, which we were really excited to see, and cast members. Cast members. We're not even the stars. We're just cast right. members. Just- you know, I was asked to read this over and I didn't. And... Did, seriously, you're admitting this now. <laughs> I'm joking. Well. From whose line is it anyway? Uh, and uh, they're not just cast members. It's Colin Ryan, baby. So uh, there's that. Join us for that. I'll remind you again about that one. But I just felt like the one thing that we can do is try to raise money for candidates who are going to be awesome. and, to right, get and ri- highlight it. Get rid of Ron DeSantis is an extraordinarily important God, mission. God, please. It's a big state and it's a beautiful state and it doesn't deserve him. Thank you. So, like going you know, back, if to, he could eliminate a few alligators, I'd be happy. Ah, uh, see, so you don't like reptiles, but that's why show business isn't for you. Wow. Getting back to Amy Winehouse, Craig, right. Craig Charles has a bitching uh, funk and soul show where he plays lots of good music, but he did crack Amy Winehouse. Uh, in this back this in the day. is a session track. Of You Know I'm No Good from 2006, which is quite beautiful. Well, may every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're bobby bonds. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. Jennifer's the smartest woman in the world. Peace.